Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Guys, in the lead up to the NFL draft, uh, we are a little more than a week away from our annual live pod uh, this year with the guys from Winning Cures Everything. We're going to have uh, details on where you can tune in. Uh, it'll be up on YouTube, I believe, uh, youtube.com slash Winning Cures Everything. Uh, we'll, we'll get the exact link as soon as we can. Um, but the live pod for the first round of the NFL draft is coming up. Always our a good goal, time. Our goal is to actually start when the draft starts this year. Unlike um, we had a lot of technical difficulties <laughs> last couple, year, yeah. but um, we hey, should. It's, it's live and it's as John would say unhinged, and that that's what makes it fun. We should say too that um, for those of you who who know us but aren't as familiar with our Mississippi brothers from other mothers, uh, the winning cures everything, boys. Um, this week, Sam and I are both kind of going on on their show um, and and doing some stuff with Chris Giannini. Sam, I think your stuff is already up um, on their site and on YouTube. Yeah, went, um, went up on, on Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, and my stuff will be up, um, should be up, you know, soon thereafter. So um, you can you can check that out at winningcureseverything.com, Winning Cures Everything on YouTube, um, or SBR sports picks which is a site they are affiliated with we are not affiliated with but you can find their stuff there just as a way of you know we wanted to do this stuff again because we love these guys but also um so that you guys can start getting a feel of of how great these guys are ahead of our live draft pod so definitely check that out this week uh we have a very special guest jumping on with us tonight kaylin kaler of defector media will be joining us uh here in just a second um Definitely can't wait to talk to her about uh, the NFL draft and, you know, kind of her journey uh, from when we spoke with her last year uh, when she was at Sports Illustrated to where she is now. Uh, definitely looking forward to sitting down with her. Do you want to feel smarter about the NFL draft? You will. This is this is someone who is as plugged in as it gets. And yes, she is going to drop some knowledge bombs on you guys. So get ready. Well, we are very excited to be joined tonight. Uh, Kaylin Kaler, uh, now of Defector Media. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to jump on with us tonight. I know it's uh, super busy leading up to the NFL draft, but uh, thanks for taking a little bit of time for us. Yeah, thanks. I love joining um, Westlot, so happy to be here um, and, you know, love the NFL draft. So let's get into it. Yeah, uh, but before we do that, um, when we spoke last year, you were still at SI and obviously a lot has happened mm-hmm. this past year. Um, yeah. Defector Media, I mean, that that it's an awesome idea and, you know, I've kind of been watching it uh, evolve. How did, uh, how did you end up with them? Yeah, it's so cool i love defector so much um so i was laid off from sports illustrated um march 31st i believe of last year so a year ago um and then i started freelancing for bleacher report and spent the most of you know 2020 after i was laid off freelancing for bleacher report which was great it was a great place to land um but like shortly after I started working there, they laid off like all of their feature writers and all of their feature editors after 
Yeah, I had like two separate contracts there. I was I was freelancing, but I was on like two separate contracts of like money that they were going to commit to me essentially um, as like an independent contractor. And um, one of those contracts was like to do feature stories, but then they like laid off that entire team, the BR Mag team. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's like not happening now. Um, and I did still get to do some features during the year. I think I did like three or four last season. Um, still for Bleacher Report, even though they got rid of BR Mag, they had like literally one editor left who was like capable of um, editing reported copy and like long features. So wow. it just kind of was clear that like that was not going to be a long-term place for me because they also like wouldn't hire me. So um and that's just like not what they do like they were they had like new ownership and like like everywhere they're just one of those places that they change their vision like every five seconds so there's you know they're like oh yeah let's commit to long form we have br mag and then like i don't know how long br mag was around maybe like three or four years at the most i'm not sure how long it was around but then they just you know get rid of it so that it was really clear like that was not going to be the place for me to work um you know, because they just had no commitment to hiring reporters ever again. And like literally every reporter left. Um, even like Matt Miller left, who was like semi reporter, semi like draft geek, you know, and like even he left and like started his own company. And like, so it was just, there was nobody left who was actually doing reporting there. So I was like, all right, I got to find something else. So I mean, I applied to like literally everything, anything and everything. And it was like, I could, you know, it was bad. Like I couldn't get anything. And then, um, and I was applying to a lot of like non-sports stuff too, because I was just like, you know what, maybe I want to do more investigative stuff. Cause I love investigating and like digging into stuff. So I was like, you know what, maybe that's what I want to do, but I didn't get a single interview for like any investigative job that I applied to. And like, I don't know if that's like hating against sports writers and thinking like, we're not able to do other things or, me just like not knowing anyone at those outlets. I don't know what the deal was, but I did not get any interest for that. Um, so I saw in January, like Defector had, um, they were hiring and I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Because if you guys, if anyone listening to this doesn't know, Defector is essentially the new Deadspin, um, even though Deadspin is still a thing that exists. It's like zomb- it's zombie Deadspin. I mean, that's just weird. Yeah. Whatever they're doing over there is bizarre. It's not great. Um, so anyways, as quick context, um, fall of 2019, 20, I believe it was around 20, it's been staffed editors and writers all quit after one of their editors was fired because he had like blatantly ignored the um, mandate from the new owners that they had to stick to sports and only write about sports. Um, and I believe what he did was he like spent an entire day putting only non-sports stories like on the homepage, which is just so awesome. And so he was fired and then the rest of them like all quit. And it's crazy because like some of them have children and like they're not like single people in their early 20s who like have that luxury. Um, so, I mean, it was really a statement. It was like a huge thing that they did. So they all quit and then they spent like the next like nine months essentially building their own business, which is what Defector is. And it's so cool. It's like, you know, so far it's working. It's It launched in September and it, we're totally subscription-based. Um, we're all co-owners of the website. So we don't have any owners besides ourselves, which is awesome. So like, you know, if someone needs to be fired for something, like we can vote on it and then it will happen or it won't. 
Um, and it's that's, just super- that sounds even better than working for a, a <laughs> magazine run by a branding company. Even better. Exactly. <laughs> Literally, it's just it's great, and it's like so transparent and. So far, we have around 40,000 subscribers, which doesn't sound like a lot, you know, when you think of like millions of page views, but we do get millions of page views still um, because we give out like four free articles a month, I believe, to non-subscribers. Um, so it's just really great. And like, it's super free. To, like, I just feel free to like do whatever I want. And the people are really cool. And there's no like, you know, intense like pitch process. It's like, hey, I'm thinking about this. Oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Like, go ahead and do it. And, like, you know, we have a Slack um, chat that's just, like, crazy, like, all day, every minute of the day, just, like, different debates and, like, fun arguments and, like, fun brainstorming sessions going on at all times. So it's just, like, really cool. Um, And I think it's a really good fit for me because, like, I'm – a lot of what I do I think is, like, kind of – I don't want to say it's, like, critical of teams or – the league or just like general accepted like football thought but I do feel like I bring sort of like a different viewpoint to something and like that's kind of what the defector mindset is it's like well if we're going to write about the NFL draft it's like well do we have an like an angle of something weird happening in this draft or something stupid happening in this draft or something um you know pointless because like I wrote about Devante Smith like people freaking out that he's, um, you know, 165 or whatever he weighs. And it's like, the dude is really good. Like, if that's going to let somebody downgrade him, then that's stupid. And, you know, that's essentially kind of what we wrote. And I added some reporting to that and, like, how, you know, really we shouldn't care. It's obvious he is a stick, but he's really good at football. Like, that shouldn't his weight, like, shouldn't influence anybody one way or the other Um, it's like it's like the russell wilson thing you know okay so he's a little bit short but he's really good at football so right what's up right it's like so stupid to have these like benchmarks of like no he can't play because of this um so yeah i mean that's like defector in a nutshell so if you don't subscribe and you're listening to this check it out we have like really fun just it's just like a fun place to be on the internet it's how i like to describe it we're, I'm really, I'm really intrigued by the chef factor. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, like I like I, I, I have not subscribed yet, but it's going to be happening in the next like six to twelve hours um, because I want to, I want to dig in. Yeah, and those recipes that Albert does are like good and like hard and like, but he makes it interesting and um, yeah, he's actually like a good cook. I was like, wow, I didn't know this about you guys. Like, pretty cool. It, it's it's really cool too to see again it's like obviously you know we are always keeping track of the northwestern family and everybody and obviously like wanting to to see everybody having the opportunity to do good work and find good places but anyone who goes to defector and it's like again they're going to burn through their fourth free articles really quick but um like you were talking about like you you have freedom but you know you have freedom, you have a voice, but anyone who goes, I mean, you are, I don't want to say you're owning the NFL corner at Defector, but you're clearly like one of their bedrock NFL reporters. I mean, I, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of the, the key stuff there. I was really curious. I mean, obviously we're going to pivot and, you know, we have a ton of stuff we want to talk about with NFL draft and specifically Northwestern NFL draft. I know you do too. I am curious though. Um, you know, we were kind of having some, 
discussions earlier being like, you know, no draft this year, um, all these different pro days. I'm just curious, um, just from a general perspective of covering the NFL, NFL draft, you have this crazy time where like there's no combine this year. You have all these different workouts. And then at the same time, you have this atmosphere of like, you know, we were just saying, you know, we were we were kind of all laughing. Um, you know, Andy Staples did one of that. Um, he created his own you know, European Super League team, but with like college teams and we were all ragging on the fact that he put Nebraska on the team, which remains ridiculous. Yeah. But but yeah. subtext to that is that he's at the athletic now and you have all these familiar names showing up in new places stirred into this stew of the idea of like no combine, all these different workouts. I'm just curious, like, what is this craziness like? With all these new entities, whether you know defector, the ringer, etc., new people, new places, and and this lack of a centralized location for everybody to meet, um, what does that do to the whole run up to the draft process? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I really miss the combine, obviously. Um, even though I think it's pretty useless in terms of like gaining football knowledge um, for for if you're an NFL team, like. I think what the Rams do with like not sending anyone anymore is like pretty smart um, and logical, but it is like such an important place to like network. So I love it selfishly. Cause I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. And I actually have like, I mean, that's been like my biggest thing is like, not so much like, Oh, I'm not getting the information that I need to get, but it's more like, I'm not building, I'm not able to build my network of people I know to the point where I used to be because, you know, I could just sidle up to somebody at a pro day. Well, we can't go to pro days. Like I tried to go to the Northwestern pro day and I couldn't go. Like they were like, no, we can't, we're not having any media. Like only one NFL network person is allowed here. Um, so I think so Stacey, it was Stacy Dales and no yeah. one else then, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Which is like so annoying because I mean, I mean, that's what happens when you work for the NFL. That's the kind of advantage you get, I guess, which like, honestly, whatever, it's not that much of a, it's not that much of a gain, but like, that's one of my, like, you know, I live here in Chicago. So that's like one of my staples on my calendar is like Northwestern pro day. And like, you know, let me see all the area scouts. I know. Cause I, I do know a lot of like Midwest area scouts just cause this is where I live. So it's like, they would all be there. And, you know, I didn't get to see any of them. And um, I also, you know, it's just like annoying. So, I mean, you can see people outside of those situations, but it's just so much easier to just show up. Because a lot of them, like, they don't have time afterwards. They have to drive to the next pro day. So, you know, I think Whitewater had their pro day that afternoon. So none of them were staying in town because I tried to hit up everybody I know and be like, anybody want to get lunch? Like, who's here? And they were all going to Whitewater. So I was like, okay, great. Um, guess I'll see nobody. So I think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed as far as like, you know, um, I mean, I'm not the type of reporter who's like going to break the news on like who the Niners are drafting anyway. So it's like not, that's not a big deal to me as far as like, oh, how am I going to get information like that? Um, and, you know, everybody I know is like still around and, and we talk and we text and call each other and everything. But I think that's the biggest thing is like, it's been hard to like, grow who you know um you know over the past year because you just don't get the face-to-face interactions anymore it's funny that you mentioned um you know getting information from the teams and 
you know, try to figure out who's going to draft who. How can you believe anyone right now? Is you know, everyone has an agenda as far as if it's coming from the teams, from the agents on, you know, who sh- who's being right. slotted where. I mean, how do you how do you cut through all of that lying, which is we everyone knows is happening? How do you cut through and find what's actually happening? And and to the point you you just made, Kaylin, like nobody's having to look you in the face and like lie to your face. So it's like almost like another shield on top of what's normally there. Yeah, no. And I think the, I think what happened with Dan Orlovsky and like Justin Fields is like a good example of uh, always having, having to have your bullshit filter up because like, and for those who aren't aware of what happened, but um, Dan Orlovsky, the ESPN analyst basically uh, well, he he went on Pat McAfee's show, I think, and he said that like Justin Fields is the last one in, first one out, and was like a work ethic concern. Good grief! I mean, he was just relaying what other people said, <laughs> I... which is like, I mean, he's not wrong to be doing that, but you have to like feed it through your own brain to be like, does this even make sense? Or you need to be like more clear that like this is what one person told me or this is what a couple people told me and like i think he did i think he handled it well um you know he apologized like he explained what happened he called justin field so i think he handled it really well but it's a really good learning experience of like this is how the media is used at this time of year like we are being used and you know you have to kind of be aware of that and like i sort of i just like address that straight up like i'll just be like um you know, when I wrote the story about Devontae Smith and like I was asking a bunch of scouts, does anyone care what he weighs? And like most people were like, no, you know, only a dumbass would care about that or, you know, something like that. And then a couple people were like, no, we, you know, I think it really does matter. And so I kind of just put in my story. And then another team was like, well, we don't think it matters, but we're anticipating other people will think it matters. So we're like doing all our work on him and we're like ready to draft him because they were like a late, late, a late first round team. So they were like, well, we hope people care so that he falls to us. And it's just like, you just have to like acknowledge it straight up when you're writing about it. And so I wrote something in the story of like, you know, one team did say they, or I was like a couple of teams did say they care, but you also have to you know, be aware that like maybe they're putting this message out there to scare off other teams into caring about his weight so that they don't draft him, right? So it's like, I mean, you really can never know anything, really, is I guess the bottom line. And that's why I don't really spend a lot of my time like trying to figure out, you know, who are the Jaguars taking with the number one pick? I mean, that's pretty obvious. And like Urban Meyer has, you know, said as much, right? But like, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't spend a lot of my time like reporting on what are the Niners going to do with their pick because I know I'm not going to be the first reporter to get that. So it's like I'd rather just spend my time finding a better, uh, finding a different and like more interesting angle. And also, like like you guys mentioned, like you're never going to really know. You're never going to find out anything true in those in those situations where you're trying to figure out who a team is going to pick. Unless you're like late in the draft and it's not the first round, you know, then I feel like people are a little bit more honest um, with players who aren't as important. Plus, we all know the Niners traded up to get Rashawn Slater. He can play any position yeah, on the line. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, speaking of speaking of that unique take, I you know, I think we were all interested to to dig in a little bit to the article you wrote on on how this draft class is so, so thin. 
in terms of like the number of players who have actually registered uh, for for the draft or, or whatever the official terminology is. But it's interesting because my I guess prior perspective, just you know, listening to the to the echo chamber, is that you know, with the lack of a combine, with the you know the weirdness of pro days and all that sort of stuff, you know, this is going to be one of the I guess, least effectively analyzed drafts, like from a team perspective mm-hmm. that that is out there. And, and there's, you know, one view of, you know, kind of anticipating some crazy picks or some crazy moves because teams are operating more in um, their own vacuum or with, you know, incomplete information. They haven't gotten to spend a lot of time with these guys face to face. But then on the other hand, you know, the article you wrote shown a light on something that I hadn't heard one iota about that. That was it's shocking. Like a, a third as yeah. many players as you would normally see mm-hmm. that are draft eligible. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Like I I'm doing my Prospect X um, series again for Sports Illustrated actually this year. And in the reporting for that hasn't come out yet. It'll come out next week, I think um, in the reporting for that one agent said to me, like, I mean, I kept hearing from agents that all these late round PFA undrafted free agent level players are all going to have a better shot this year because the class is smaller. Um, so I kept hearing that from several agents, but then one actually like told me the specific numbers. He was like, well, let me just look it up right now. Um, Cause I don't have, you know, as a reporter, I have access to the NFLPA website, but not that part of the NFLPA website. So um, he went and found that out. And he read me the numbers and I was like, wait a second, that's like a third of the class. Like typically there'd be 1800 to 1900 players who sign with an agent um, by this time of year. And this year, as of last week, there were only 657, which I mean, obviously 1900 players are not making it in the NFL. You know, I mean, there's only this year, there'll be 259 players drafted. I think it did the math. And then there's about 10 undrafted free agents per team. So that's like another 320. And so the number of players of, you know, 2021 rookies that will actually end up signing with an NFL team is somewhere around like 580-ish. So it's not like there isn't a full class available. Like there definitely is, but it's just like shows how many of the players who are at the bottom of the barrel um, who decided, you know, we're going to go back to school or maybe they just decided not even to try at all because the other factor, which I didn't include in the story because it felt like a tangent that was going to like distract people, but there wasn't a new agent class last year because they didn't have the agent exam last summer because of COVID. So new agents are typically the ones who will sign those lower level guys. And so there wasn't a new agent class and all of the agents that already are certified, most of them I talked to were like, yeah, you know, I decided to be a little bit more selective this year. I didn't want to spend a lot of money given the, on a player to like train and, and, you know, feed them and their stipend and all that, knowing that, you know, there's a little bit of risk associated with this draft. Um, you know, if they didn't play a fall season or, or whatever the issue or whatever the risk is, a lot of agents just decided to like sit back on this draft class. So there's a lot of factors here, the extra year of eligibility agents deciding to kind of coast and sit this one out. Um, no new agent class player, you know, the players who decided to go back to school. There's a ton of factors here, but, um, you know, I was talking to somebody who for the Northwestern angle here, I was talking to somebody who, um, knows Peyton Ramsey pretty well. And he was saying how Peyton Ramsey 
could have, I mean, obviously he could have gone back next year with the extra year of eligibility would have been his sixth college season, I believe, but he could have gone back. And this person was telling me that Fitz really, really tried. Like he basically re-recruited him all over again. Um, and Peyton was like, nah, you know, I've been in college for too long, bro. It's my time to go pro. So in most cases though, like the college coaches won this recruiting battle. A lot of the agents I talked to were like, yeah, like one agent named like six players that he thinks would be top 100 players that went back to school. A couple of three of them were like Wisconsin players. I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but he had, I mean, he named six players that he personally recruited that, I mean, who knows if they would have been top 100 picks or not, but he said they just, these six decided to go back to school and he was personally like shocked. He was like, the college coaches did a better job of recruiting than I did this year. Um, and, you know, I think they were able to play up the gray area of, well, you know, was it really your best football this year when we had two games postponed? And, you know, who knows what they said, right? But, like, they can definitely convince someone that they could improve their stock next year. Um, but I think when you look at the numbers of the class, which I don't know at the prospects when they had to make their decision, they probably didn't have that knowledge, um, or at least not the numbers to really paint the picture of how much smaller it really was. But I think it's, I think it's kind of silly. Every player that decided to go back to school. Um, I don't know. I think this was the year for them. And it's also the year for the 2020 street free agents right now. Like they're going to have a chance because there's less um, 2021 guys. It's, it's wild to like, I mean, the point you bring up Ramsey, right? And Ramsey talking about it's my time to go pro. And one of the things you mentioned in your article is like this situation where the draft class this year is really small. And then it's going to slam into a monstrously oversized draft class next year. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I mean, not to go off track, but like, part of my job is is working with kids on college admissions and let let me tell you what happens when you have a year where a massive a number of kids take a gap year and then all of that slams into the following year northwestern's acceptance rate people was nine percent this year that is sub what most of the ivy league is in a normal year um it is it was just, it was insane. And I'm visualizing this situation where, you know, you talked about, okay, all these coaches are doing a great job recruiting these top 100 guys. Well, the top 100 guys were going to get drafted in any year. But next year, I'm like, there are all of these guys yeah. who, you like, I had never thought of it until I read your article. And I'm like, these guys are kind of trading an extra year of college for any chance of being drafted. And, yes. I'm, al- and I'm almost looking at like a guy like Ramsey and he's thinking I'll, you know, yeah. my shots low, yeah. but I'm yeah. never going to have a better shot than I would this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. For a guy like him who like most people wouldn't think has much of an NFL future. It's like, this is his time. This is definitely his time. So on that note, um, are there, you know, cause we were thinking, I mean, this, I feel like there's this broken record where, and again, you would, you would probably 
not make this the mistake that we or at least I've made in the past, which is I feel like there's this broken record year over year where we're like, all right, definitely these guys are going to get drafted from Northwestern. <laughs> yeah. And then we're like six fifth round, sixth round. When is Gaziano going to get drafted? Come on. I was sure. And then it like, you know, um, and then Anthony Walker, fourth round, right? Like that. I remember right. that was another one that I was, we were all kind of yeah. shaking right. our heads at. Um, right. So it's like, so this year, and again, it's like, we wanted, you know, we mapped this out weeks ago. Cause we we're like, Oh, we have to get Kalen on. We have to talk about draft. And then reading your article, suddenly I'm like, Oh my gosh. It almost feels like a perfect storm where yeah, this might be the best. This might be, right. This might be the best <laughs> draft class in Northwestern history crashing into the perfect yeah. year to have a class. So, yeah. So to your point. So what do you think? I mean, you look at this well, class, you, you know, all the guys I'm rooting for. Is it the first if they if Newsom and Slater are both in the first round? Is that the first time we've had two first round picks? I believe that is the case. Yes. Yes. (laughs) John, you looked at this the other day. There's only been eight previously, correct? I I think eight. It's either eight or nine ever, but none first. Not not never two. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I mean, that's the outcome I'm rooting for first and foremost. Um, and then you know I will be obnoxious and call it like the Northwestern draft or something stupid. Yes. Um, (laughs) Love it. I will be tweeting about it a lot. Um. So hopefully that will happen. Although I'm not confident about Newsom going in the first round. I've talked, I've asked around a little bit about him and it's like mixed. I mean, it's kind of like 50, 50, like people, no one's really sure. Um, But if he's not drafted in the first round, he'll be early second is what I hear of the range for him. And I think the only thing holding people back is just his um, availability history. Um, uh, because didn't he like miss more games than he's played? Is that is that the stat on I, him? He's, 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 he's missed games bad. every season. Yeah. So someone said to me he's missed more games than he's played, but I didn't actually fact check that, so I'm not sure if that's true. Um, but I think that would be the one thing, like maybe holding people back, is just the injury history, and especially in a year like this where you couldn't bring them into your facility to check them out yourself. I mean, who knows that might have more of an impact on him than it would next year or two years ago. Um, So I think, you know, I'm not sure if he'll be in the first round, but he'll be close to it if not. Um, And then, so I don't know. I think like Patty Fisher could get drafted um, later, late round. I don't know what, like, fifth round maybe later than that for him well, see, th- this is always the trap i fall into i'm like well patty will definitely be fourth like a guy that big he'll go and then i like, it slips but that's what I'm, yeah. i mean this this year i just feel like that you I know think, i think people see him as like pat fitzgerald which is not great in terms of <laughs> um so i i think like if he gets drafted it'll be day three for sure um i don't see him going any earlier than that. And then Ernest Brown, I think could have a shot late also. Um, who am I forgetting? RCB. I don't know. Blake Gallagher. Blake. Yeah. Oh, JR. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't talked to anyone about Blake or I forgot like RCB. I just saw like, inside and you like posted about him and I, I kind of totally forgot that he was in this draft and I haven't really talked to anyone about him either. Is there anybody else? The only other one, and we were kind of like, 
I don't want to say joking about it because, but we were, we were talking about Gunnar Vogel, who at the end of the season didn't at least outwardly say he was, you know, opting for the draft, just said he's moving on in his career. And we were thinking about, you know, all, all the, all the stories and publicity around Blake Hans's, um experience with the Cleveland Browns toward the end of the last season. Oh, thinking, yeah. well, awesome. it, if Blake can do it, like surely Gunnar can do it too, but um, yeah. he might, he might not be in the pool. That's awesome. Who was invited? Who all of those guys were combine invites? I should know this. I don't remember. Oh God. Well, so how did, well, so that's what I was curious. I mean, I mean, I'm how did that, how now. did that, how did that work this year? Was that just like a ceremonial yeah. designation or? Yeah, basically. I actually wrote about this too, because I thought it was really hilarious that they were going to come out with a combine list, even though there wasn't a combine. <laughs> um, I thought it was hilarious. And I also like tried to get the list myself from like eight different people. Teams had it before they released it. Okay. Ernest Brown got a combine invite. Patty got a combine invite, Greg Newsome, Rashawn Slater. That's it. Okay. So those guys, I feel pretty good that they'll get drafted then. Um, that's, yeah. uh, that's great. I mean, that's great news relative to Brown. Cause I feel like, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's- yeah, no, I think, and I was recently talking to his agent for not even about him. And he was saying he's had a lot of interest in terms of like zoom meetings, but it's, but it's weird this year. Like it's impossible. There's no 30 visits. There's no private workouts. There's no private dinners. There's no actual way that you would normally gauge interest from NFL teams. Um, just like, I mean, we had this problem last year too. Um, but it's even worse this year. Cause there was none of any of it. It wasn't like we could do it in February and then we couldn't in March. It's like, no, you could never do it. So it's really hard. And his agent was saying that he was like, it's really hard to tell what, what is going to happen because like, he's like my business partner. And I talk about this all the time. Like, what does a zoom meeting mean? And like, okay, should we be thinking about like who the most important person on the zoom meeting was that he's met with? And like, what does that mean? And like, what does this mean? Um, but all you really have are these zoom meetings. You don't have anything else to go off of. So it's kind of hard to predict, but yeah, if you got a combine invite, I feel pretty good about that. Um, but yeah, the combine invite this year, really the only thing it meant was, um, I not clear on how this ended up working, but it was really just a medical thing. Like it meant the same thing that it would in normal year of like, Oh, teams voted. They want to know more about you and they want you to attend the combine and they want to like interview you or like get your medicals or whatever. Cause that's what it would mean in a normal year. Cause the NFL teams vote on who they want to attend. It's players they want to see um, in person. And so it meant that this year, but in, in reality, the only actual purpose that it served because there was no combine was that they kind of, and I don't know how it worked, but they sort of centralized the medical info. Um, and I think they set up medical visits and like, uh, appointments and, and tests and things for the players who were invited to the combine and then sent that information to teams. So that's really the only thing that it meant this year, uh, practically speaking, but it was still sort of like a badge, I guess. And like, since so much of the draft process is based off of like group think, it's very important to know, like, who did everyone like, you know, we need to know. So now we know. And I was actually glad that they released the list because I was kind of, I was like tongue in cheek, like, 
joking about how stupid it was that there was still a list, even though it didn't exist. But then I was also like, I feel lost without a list. Like I need a list. <laughs> that, that's so interesting. You talk about the medical and I, it just got me thinking like, how would like when you bring everyone to Indianapolis, sure. You've got like a, a sure. Just this whole medical facility where you're able to, to get all that uh, information in, but how would like logistically, how would you even do that for all these guys all around the country? That's, it seems like a monumental task. Yeah. I really do not know the particulars of how that went down, but I do know that I was talking to a trainer that I know with a NFL team recently. And he was saying how they, I mean, in a normal year, they, they do take on responsibilities like this, but it's like at the combine. Um, But he was saying how like he got assigned, like they've all been like assigned a handful. I don't know how many, but like a group of prospects and they're like, they were like in charge of, you know, getting their info together making sure it was correct, um, organizing all the materials and then like, I don't know, uploading it to some sort of database. I'm not sure, but that's kind of how he described it. And so typically like that would be happening at the, actually in Indianapolis, like, because the the prospects don't meet with every team's doctor. They meet with like a few. Um, They don't meet with all 32 for the most part. So that was just kind of happening virtually um, this year um, with, with the trainers, the different teams. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at this list now and I see uh, Ben Skaronic also combine invite TBT. Yeah. I guess we should. Uh, yeah, no, I maybe we're maybe subconsciously we were c- counting Skaronic less just because Miller cop just transferred into the state <laughs> yeah. of Indiana today. So we're all, we're all, it was some sort of instinctive repressive mechanism going on here. Um, yeah, no, but hopefully, hopefully Ben's going to benefit um, the, the same way. One thing, so I guess I, I've a, a top of the draft question, a bottom of the draft question, I guess bearing the lead a little, the bottom of the draft, I mean, we talked about a guy like Ernest Brown. So let's say he's, you know, he's a winner this year and through these confluence of circumstances, or even like a Blake Gallagher or something sneaks, you know, gets into the draft, gets a sixth round or seventh round selection. Have you heard anything like, Given that you have this small class and that you have these agents telling you, look, they're, you know, something you're looking at your article, some of the sources being like, look, there are going to be guys who are getting at the end of this draft who, um, you know, would never get in a normal year. That's not I'm, I'm not, you know, that's not to throw shade at Blake or Ernest. I'm just saying, like, that's what this guy said. Are, are you hearing anything that like that will have salary ramifications where teams are going to be like trying to negotiate you know, UFA level contracts for guys who are actually drafted at the end of the draft. Can they even do that? I don't know. Um, They can, I think they can do that with free agent signings for sure. Um, Because sometimes that will influence like who a player decides to sign with um, in undrafted free agency. I don't know how much that can take place and what's, you know, how, how strictly that's regulated towards the end of the draft. Um, that is a good question though. It's um, just like, I'm just wondering too, like all, like you're that article raised 50 questions in my mind. That I, I never would have thought of where I'm thinking like, are teams even going to keep guys? If they're going to be like, look, we're stuck with drafted a guy in the seventh round. But if we think this guy's a UFA, like, you know, here, take your 20,000 bonus. But like, you know, I'm, I'm just. Right. No, they're. 
there's so many weird aspects to this. And like one of related to that is like, you know, a couple teams said to me that they think their team strategy or they wouldn't be surprised to see other teams trying to like unload their late round picks this year um, and to try to turn them into next year value um, because next year's class is going to be so much more loaded. So that's like another thing that could happen. I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen this year. And then um, one thing I didn't put in the story because I didn't want to look up all the historical data because it involved a lot of counting and I just was kind of over it. Um, so I was, I was looking at roster size last week and there were, so 90 man limits are what you can have on your roster right now under contract. And that's what it, that's what it is like this time of year during the off season. And there were three teams that had over 80 and like, I think the top was 84 or 83. The giants had 83, I think. Um, the Niners had over 80. I can't remember the third team that had over 80. The Patriots had like 79. And so I took the average and the average was like 71. And then there were like a good number, I think like 14 teams that had more than 75 players. And if you do the math, we're two weeks out from the draft. If you do the math, you know, you're drafting seven to 10 players. You're adding another 10 typically around there and undrafted free agency. And that would put a lot of these teams over the 90 man limit. And obviously they can cut whoever they want to before the draft. It's not like they can't make changes, but I just felt like it was high. And so to me, I'm interpreting from that, that they're like teams who are carrying more veterans are maybe thinking to themselves that already preparing for the fact that they're going to rely on the draft on the, 2021 draft class even less than they would in a normal year and maybe they're thinking you know there's not that many guys on our backboard those free agent types that we even want to sign this year so we're just going to keep a bunch of veterans that we already have or or that we signed in free agency so I asked around about that and I got a lot of you know personnel guys around the league with different teams saying like yeah that's true like that's a strategy going on. And I had an agent who was like, Oh yeah, 10,000% that's going on right now. You know, he was like the Seahawks in July, they already traded. I mean, they traded for Jamal Adams partly because they felt like that was a better use of their draft picks. I think they traded two first round picks for him, but their first round of this year, 2021. And they felt like that was a better use of their draft value than to, you know, rely on a player from this class of craziness. So that's just one example, but that was an interesting thing that I didn't put in the story because I was like, I don't want to go back and look at what last year's roster totals were at this time or like the last five years. But I did find that interesting and people seem to agree with me. That's very interesting. It, and my my self-loathing Vikings fandom is brain is thinking right now like, wow, great. We have more draft picks than anybody else this year. Um, yeah. I'm sure we're not going to use that to our, our advantage, but um, I, would, I wanted to, to tap into something you said uh, a little, a little while earlier, Kaylin, that, that ties to this. And that's, you mentioned potential free agents from the 2020 class. And it made me think about Alex Miller, whom um, we, we know, we know, uh, uh, an agent that had been working with Alex and, and ended up having on, him on our pod last spring oh, talking nice. about his prep for the draft. Obviously he didn't get drafted. We had heard from, from him and our friend that there was definite interest and even 
even that he might get get picked up in the sixth or seventh round with with an actual pick, not just as a UFA. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm curious how many teams or how much chatter you've heard of of you know this veteran strategy is one strategy, obviously dipping back into last year's talent pool is a potential another one. Has that come up frequently, or is it is it just here and there? No, definitely, and it's like logical because. I mean, especially with the 17th game next year, um, I don't actually know if they increased, have they said anything about increasing, like how many, are they going to increase the practice squad again because of that? Or I hadn't heard. I, as you were, as you were saying that I was wondering the exact same thing. Yeah. I don't know if they've put out any communications about that, but I would kind of expect there to be some sort of roster increase in relation but I don't know like I I haven't really read about that aspect of it um well that's really interesting um so yeah I mean like with the 17th game I think a lot of these like journeyman I don't know practice squad guys that are bouncing around um are definitely going to get another look and especially I mean I think they are having rookie mini camps this year. So that's good for the 21 class. Um, I mean, last year's class didn't even get to have rookie mini camps. Yeah. So I think a lot of those players are going to get another look just because um, they're going to need, I think teams are going to want to see that. And I also think with a lot of these teams, like, um, like one team pointed out to me, like, yeah, like people are carrying more veterans now because like for a lot of these teams, like, they might not feel comfortable signing a 21 um, prospect until they get them in their building, like in a rookie mini camp capacity where they can like see them and maybe run them through a physical or whatever they need to do. Um, So I thought that was kind of an interesting point too, but no, definitely, definitely the 20 guys are going to get helped by this. I'm just, I, I'm I'm looking at all the tea leaves here, and I'm gonna tell you what I think. Blake gets drafted. I think Jr. gets drafted. I think we have like ten guys yeah. get drafted. It's the greatest North dra- Northwestern draft class in history yes. by double. And then all anyone talks about is yeah, but this was a class that like you only got all yeah, those guys after. because all the and then Northwestern gets totally respect disrespected on the on the back of that class. <laughs> so yeah. I, I've, I'm already jumping ahead. I'm already yeah. getting mad preemptively for all these guys. And then everyone being like, yeah, but this year doesn't even count. Like you, you guys didn't really get drafted. Um, right. That seems, I, that feels right. Yeah. I was, so I wanted to circle back to a top of the draft question um, mm-hmm. because, you know, we've, we mentioned Rashawn Slater, but obviously like, I mean, you, I mean, honestly, how far back would we have to go to find a guy, a Northwestern guy who was so consensus a top of the draft I pick. Know. I, mean, I, I mean, I, I even Napoleon Harris, I don't think was thought of that highly. I mean, it might be all the way back to Chris, Chris Hinton, Hinton, maybe. Yeah. 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 I was gonna say, like, because he was an O lineman too, right? Yeah, left tackle. Yeah. Yeah, and and taking that's number so, four. And that's what I was curious. I mean, you could even juxtapose it with Hinton, but um, I'm curious to hear from you based on kind of you know your proximity and your experience doing this. You read about Slater and so much is made out of the fact that he can play every position on the line. And I guess I'm just curious, whereas like Sewell is like, he's a left tackle. And Mm -hmm. I guess I'm, I'm really curious to know. I mean, I mean, this is a crude analogy, but obviously like ain't no one drafting a quarterback 
with a top five pick because he could also play running back. And I, and I guess I'm like, I guess I'm curious is like, is that flexibility really something a team that is planning on taking an offensive lineman in the top 10 picks of the draft, something that they're thinking about, or are they being like Slater's a left tackle or he's not going that high from us? I'm just kind of curious what your read on that is. Um, That's an interesting question. I think, I don't know. I feel like it kind of depends on what their the need is because um, I think smart teams draft players with a very specific role in mind. So whoever is going to draft him, I don't think they're going to see him as like, oh, well, he could do anything for us. Like he could, he could be center, you know, like he could do this. I I don't think they're going to be like, that is the goal for him. I think they're going to have a very specific, like, well, we want him, we want him to play tackle. Like we want him to play guard or whatever it is. Like, I think they're going to have a specific role for him. And then I guess it comes down to like what you value that role at as to how high he gets drafted. Because I don't know. I mean, offensive line, I guess, is one of those positions that you really can move around with success for the most part. Um, But I do, I don't know. I think that whoever's drafting him knows what they want to do with him. It's not like a, oh, yeah, like, that's so great that he can play all the positions for us. That's a good point, right? That makes totally sense because, like, I guess, like, in theory, you could say, okay, you can play multiple positions on the line. That might increase the amount of teams that might take him in the top 10 picks. But, right, like, if a team wants him at center, they want him at center, right? That makes makes perfect sense. Like, a team's team's not drafting him fifth and being like, oh, maybe he'll play guard. Maybe he'll play right guard. Because you know, like, what your needs are you know where you want him to be at and then I don't know I guess if trial and error if he, if he if you don't like him at that position then I guess you move him around because you have to but like you I think you know what you want to do with him otherwise you're just kind of bad at your job <laughs> you know that's, that's never happened in the NFL no. <laughs> yeah I mean yeah right are there any uh stories kind of going around day one of the draft I mean, you, you said you're not really concerned with who's taking who, but looking for some fun uh, other aspects of the draft. Is there anything that's jumped out to you, kind of something to keep an eye on in uh, in the early rounds of the draft? Um, yeah, I mean, I am obviously interested in what's going to happen with the quarterbacks um, because the ringer had a pretty good story about like Justin Fields you know, slip or fall or whatever we want to characterize, like, um, you know, how he's sort of like gotten to the bottom of this draft class of quarterbacks in the first round now. Um, Which is ridiculous. So can I, so just, can I put just a pin in that real quick? Is that what you're hearing as well? Like, I know like there are stories about that, but are you getting that sense from teams that, that that's, that that's a thing? I, the last time I wrote about Justin Fields was like, it must have been January um, or maybe, yeah, I think it was January. Um, it was shortly after his college season. And I know that like there has always been a lot of hot and cold on him, like from conversations that I've had with scouts, like people really love um, his athleticism and like his upside and potential, but 
I did talk to a couple scouts during the fall who just were really scared by like his big 10 championship game performance. Um, in particular, like I was texting one scout who was at that game and like, granted it was like happening in the moment, but he was like, Whoa, like I have, I already had concerns about him, but now I have some like real big concerns about him. And then, and then you, and then you walked that scout through, he's playing one of the greatest defenses you will ever see on a college football field. Right. Exactly. I was like, well, you know, it's not really like average competition. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, like, so I don't think it's come out of nowhere. I think there has been concerns about him for, you know, during the seat, at least as far as, you know, this fall, essentially, is when I started talking to people about him. So to me, it didn't really come out of nowhere. I feel like it's just felt like a bigger drop because other quarterbacks have risen, like Zach Wilson. Um, and I think Trey Lance is kind of on the rise right now as well. And Mac Jones, obviously. But yeah, the Ringer did a good story about you know, uh, the racial dis- disparity when it comes to how we talk about black quarterbacks and how that has affected Justin Fields' stock and and maybe is part of the reason why he is being questioned more than others right now or, you know, seen as like an athlete and nothing else. And like his work ethic was questioned um, and all of that stuff. And it was a really interesting read um but i still I, just, I don't know i would just really be surprised if mac jones went before justin fields um that i mean that would still that would just surprise me still because I, I don't know i could see the niners taking trey lance i could see someone actually really liking trey lance but i don't see mac jones being the guy who goes before trey lance or justin fields that would surprise me a lot yeah, I mean, um, the the Niners the Niners aren't trading all that to move up to three for Mac Jones. I mean, no, I I don't know. And also, I hate the storyline that everyone's like, they don't know who they traded up for. That's some <laughs> BS. That is some absolute BS. ESPN, like literally every time I turn it on, they're like, why would the Niners trade up for a player they don't even know they want? Like for someone they don't even know who they're gonna draft at that at that spot yet. And I'm like. Who's buying that? They absolutely know who they're going to. They've known probably since like October. Like, let's be honest. They absolutely know who they're drafting before they traded for that pick. I so. I'm just I, like some of these things. I, I again, it's it's one of those things where it's like I don't want to I don't want to pass judgment. And that's why I kind of asked the side question about fields, because it's like, look, I don't want to pass judgment until like we actually see the picks. But then I'm like, I mean, we were talking last week. You can't tell me that if you put Steve Schnur on that Alabama team, he would not have replicated those numbers. I'm sorry. Right. I just don't. Right. I just don't. I just don't believe it. I I mean, matchstick notwithstanding, you put him with that wide receiver core and the rest of that team. And then, I mean, with all due respect to these scouts, how can you rag Justin Fields for a Big Ten championship game performance against the Northwestern defense, mm-hmm. and then give a straight-faced evaluation of Trey Lance. How can right. you? How can you against or, or uh, Zach Wilson for that matter? Right, right. The, the right. metaphor I think of is the NBA draft back in the day when Yi John Lan did the workout against the chair. Trey Lance has been playing against the chair, <laughs> and now I'm like, how? Like, how right. are you going to evaluate? I just don't. It doesn't wash with me. And then, right, I. 
I used to make the the Zach Wilson couldn't beat Coastal Carolina jo- uh, joke, but then if you watch that, they basically took out a hit on him in that game. So I don't like, I right. don't, uh, I feel a little guilty saying that, but he did lose to Coastal Carolina. So again, I no, I know it's it's all craziness, but that this all goes back again. The the 49ers know who they want to take. It's Rashawn Slater. They've they've yeah. set it up left tackle tackle of the yeah. future. He's gonna protect Jimmy G. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. That would be that would be so funny. Just if he, they, he like, and Trent Williams are just going to trade. He and Trent Williams are just going to trade snaps, right? Yeah, that's, that's oh, yeah, right. of course. Yeah, yeah, it's great. That's great. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So I think I think the early round storyline that I'm following is just you know just the quarterback movement because um, they're all going to go in the first round for sure. But it's just in what order and you know. Do you think they're all top? all get taken in the top 10? Honestly, maybe. Um, there might be one that gets outside of that range, just depending on... Because didn't a report come out today that the Panthers were shopping their pick at yeah, eight? Yeah, the, the, the Panthers are maybe looking around. But, like, honestly, who's not talking about trading right now? If anyone right. is sitting... Except for Jacksonville and maybe the Jets, if anyone is... is going to tell you that right. they're not taking phone calls they're lying right because like there's a bunch of teams that need a quarterback later in the first round that if they decide to move up then i could definitely see all these guys going in the top 10 you know like somebody like new england someone i don't know where, where's pittsburgh late in the draft do they have a first round pick i think they do um you know, Pittsburgh, New England, these places that like just don't have that long-term answer um, might decide to do it this year. Um, and the, the ones who have been kind of like waiting for like the last few years to make any types of moves. Um, I could definitely see, yeah, I could definitely see them all going in the top 10. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny now to You've illuminated. It has me thinking. Like normally, the Belichick move is to trade back in the draft, but you've kind of established trading back in this draft has almost no value. So I'm like, what? right? Maybe, maybe he's just gonna go for it. Right, and they've drafted so poorly. That team in particular, they have really not drafted well um, over the last probably like five years. They've just it's been bad. So. And I think that's why you saw them like go big in free agency um, this spring is like they had to sort of admit that they have not drafted well and they needed to do something about it. It's going to be real interesting to me. I, I think I'm looking forward to seeing how many trades happen in the first round and what you're getting back for it. I mean, our, our team's going to be valuing next year picks more than they normally would are they is someone gonna like say a second round pick is for next year is worth more than it normally would that's gonna be a really interesting thing to to keep an eye on i think yeah i didn't get a chance i haven't gotten a chance to like specifically get that answer out of anyone but typically um future draft picks are worth less um than a draft a pick in like this draft current draft so i think that might maybe reverse or at least even out in value considering the depth of next year's draft. I would definitely expect that to be a result. 
So I guess I guess I'm curious. We always kind of work our way around to a question like this because we're always curious about it. The kind of um, state of the state of the union type questions relative to Northwestern football, right? Um, the the idea of okay, Northwestern has reached this plateau, reached this plateau, and how do these successive things affect the national consciousness and affect the way people look at the program, right? And now. Here we are arriving at a place where, you know, weird draft or not, small draft class or not, you're going to hear the Northwestern name potentially a lot on 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 day one. Um, I'm curious, you know, what your feeling is about, you know, how how you see that making an impact, either, you know, your own opinion, but but also what you're hearing and how, you know, you feel that, you know, Northwestern being in these conversations is, is affecting, you know, the, the Northwestern brand as it were. Yeah. I mean, I think our, the brand is actually like really strong, um, in terms of NFL connections and like being a pipeline in that sense. Um, I think it's really strong because I mean, Fitz is in the head coach conversations every freaking year. So like, I think that helps of like, oh, well, they have a coach that the NFL wants. Um, and as far as I can tell, that interest is actually real and not a manufacturer of um, his agent, who I believe is Brian Harlan. I don't know. I could be wrong. I think that's his agent. Um, although I do think they have used it well in terms of his leverage at Northwestern. But um, the interest for him is real. So I think like that has been maybe the hugest factor of like, NFL brand, you know, building the brand of Northwestern as as a team that like leads people to to professional football. Um, yeah, and I, you know, you see teams like the Packers who have like many Northwestern players, um, and that's probably like the Mark Murphy influence, um, and also the the regional influence. But you know, they have several Northwestern alumni. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's good, and like. A lot of people don't realize there's so many Northwestern. I think I said this last time I was on this podcast. I don't remember, but there's so many Northwestern people working for teams in like important roles. Um, you know, like the Packers have Lee Justin Danner as the personnel executive. He played at Northwestern. Um, they're everywhere. Um, Niners have a couple guys. Um, Washington. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. Like we're kind of all over the place when it comes to like being in leadership roles um, within NFL teams. And like, you know, Mike Kafka is like head coach material someday, maybe soon, who knows how soon, but like he's, you know, he's climbing the ranks, um, working with the best quarterback in the league. Um, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, I think like within the NFL, like Northwestern is like not slept on as far as I think like fans like sleep on Northwestern and like Big Ten people like think we're not legit. But like if you work in the NFL, like, you know, it's like a place where talent comes out of. It feels like that's been a conscious effort on Northwestern's part. And maybe I'm just, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe this is wishful thinking on my part, but it does seem like, uh, you know, several years back that they kind of identified, all right, we've, you know, 
we've won a bowl game. We've built some stability here. The next step is we we need to we need to think about like the Stanfords of the world and 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 do more to develop players and show them that we can put them into into the next into the next level if we're going to continue to progress. Do you do you get that sense as well? Because I like it makes a lot of sense to me that that would start with well. Mark Murphy is a, a person in the NFL and we've got a couple of players here and there, but we can, we can start infusing other elements of that business world with Northwestern connections and help build that brand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, all of the above, I think. And I think that actually like surprised me because I don't think I really like knew fully, like when I was, at, at school there I mean I didn't really know I was going to go like work NFL adjacent but I was de- I don't know I was not fully aware of like how many Northwestern people there are in the NFL and like how many players how many coaches how many scouts executives that type of thing um but it really is a lot so I don't know I think they could do an even better job of sort of milking that but they do I mean if you ever pay attention to like who the honorary captains are for the football games like they do a pretty good job like bring when they can I, I don't know I doubt they had any last year but um they do a pretty good job in a normal year of like bringing people back who are in the NFL or like you know played or did play in the NFL but a lot of them like now work in it um and I don't know I mean like if you if you can't be known for like producing like first round talent like at least you can be known for producing like leadership in the NFL which is honestly like more important anyways so I feel like that's sort of more of like what Northwestern does as opposed to like oh we had the number one overall pick you know and that really fits in with what Fitz always talks about as far as recruiting from high school is bringing in leadership and yeah to, to see that kind of traversing from from high school through Northwestern and then on into the the next level I, I know I'm sure Fitz is thrilled with all of all of that progress on that front yeah absolutely i think it's well now last thing i was going to say you've you've totally sold me because if we want to follow the crazy we're all going to get super mad when northwestern gets 10 yeah. guys drafted and then gets disrespected for it uh that line of northwestern getting a ton of guys in the draft you can go down that road but you've also sold me on that there's a giant shadowy cabal of people all over the league who are going to work to make sure this Northwestern right. gets as many people into the draft as possible. <laughs> yeah, we're like the Illuminati or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, Kaylin, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on with us. This is, this is fantastic. Um, before we let you go, once again, tell people where they can find your work. Defector.com. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kalen, thanks. Thanks again. And we definitely look forward to, uh, to reading your stuff, you know, leading up to the draft and then coming out and getting into this next season. I mean, it's going to, it's going to be interesting. Stuff is not back to normal and it's going to be interesting to kind of see how things develop, uh, this off season, especially with like teams saying, Oh, we're not going to do voluntary minicamp. That's, that's a whole interesting story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. 100%. Buckle up. <laughs> well, that's Kaylin Kaler of Defector Media. Uh, awesome stuff. Uh, the she's, greatest. She's the greatest. phenomenal. And I'm, I'm thrilled that we were able to, to get her on now for the second year in a row. But uh, 
go to defector.com subscribe her stuff is fantastic drew mcgarry is a big part of this you know obviously um coming over from deadspin his stuff is iconic in and of itself uh they've got a lot of great stuff going on there so definitely check them out yeah it's i mean it's so awesome but again kind of as we said off the top like she is right front and center for their nfl stuff so i mean her voice is arguably um the, the voice that's given the most content and the most space in their NFL in their NFL space. Um, and she's writing awesome stuff. So yeah, definitely go check that stuff out and, uh, and check out the, the tweet storm that she alluded to on the night of the draft. Cause that should be pretty fun. Uh, some Northwestern news to mention. Um, huge very good. Re- yeah. Very bad. Um, and, and it's it's interesting, uh, you know, before we talk about uh, the teams, some names have started jumping out as far as the next athletic director. Uh, I mean, just dead silence on that front. But then all of a sudden we're starting to hear a few names emerging and uh, potentially we might have uh, some concrete answers in the next week or so. It's it's certainly possible, right? Um, it's It's funny because it went from from zero radio silence, as you said, to um, the widest of nets, right? And again, this is not, again, to diminish any of these candidates, but we went from hearing no names to hearing a laundry list of current NCAA athletic directors from other schools, and also like Napoleon Harris, his name is finding its way into the conversation. Yeah, just uh, just pulling up Adam Rittenberg's tweet here, because I think this was the most comprehensive uh, that I saw yesterday, but um, he listed out Washington State's Pat Chun, Cal's uh, Jim Knowlton, uh, UNLV's uh, Desiree Reed Francis or Francois, uh, SMU's Rick Hart, Rice's uh, Joe Carlgard, and then Deputy AD uh, Mike Poliski and Deputy AD uh, Yana Blaise, both internal. Um, I think Blaze is serving as interim athletic director, so they're 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 on the list. And then he, you know, Napo, as you mentioned, John, and then uh, Anucha Brown, who played basketball at Northwestern, and then later became an exec with the New York Knicks. So um, a really interesting group. I, I I also saw either later yesterday or maybe earlier today that that Patchoon uh, from Washington State is not not a not that he's not a candidate, but he is not the one who's going to be getting the job. Um, that was that was leaked at some point, but just like a really interesting smattering, some that make a ton of sense, right? Cal athletic director, Rice athletic director, like SMU athletic director seem like kind of no brainers given you know the academic rigors of some of those schools, et cetera. But um, just you know a fascinating process that we're not going to get to see any of. But it will only the only the end game. I, so there is one thing I, I did want to bring up really quickly before we move off of this. And again, we don't know the extent to all these. Obviously, these are all incredibly qualified people with different qualifications. The minute we heard um, Anucha Brown's name mentioned, though, I especially in today's day and age, you can't stop and think about the fact that Anucha Brown is someone who is famous for having to deal with the exact problems that result when you don't promote people like Anucha Brown to the head of major organizations. And I think it's one of those things where it's always worth remembering that there, I mean, again, it's like most qualified candidate, totally agree. There are many things that come along with this, but when you're 
when you have a candidate like that to consider, um, it's worth considering all the fringe benefits that come along um, for the way you're serving your students, the way you're serving your student athletes. Um, when you promote a you know a woman of color uh, to the highest levels, um, and so it's again. Again, that's not to say, I mean, there are going to be many qualified candidates and this, you know, NAPO is, is certainly at the Northwestern in-house candidates. They're all, but it does bear mentioning, right? And, and especially since, you know, Anucha Brown, who's then Anucha Brown Sanders, had to deal with working under some of the worst people that have run a sports organization and, um, you know, that had to deal with all the problems that come when you don't elevate someone deserving like that, who is also a woman of color to the highest echelon where everyone else answers to her. So um, that's my two cents. And that's, you know, I'm hoping that she gets the the closest possible consideration. And that if, if she's the best candidate, she's the one who gets the job. But again, I, we will all be, like you said, this one from information vacuum to information overload very quickly. So we're going to keep our, our ears to the ground and see what, what develops from here. Huge congratulations to Lindsey Pulliam, uh, drafted in the third round by Atlanta. Um, yeah, I think a little bit lower than we were hoping, but you know it's awesome to see her you know, get picked and uh, to to head down to Atlanta. It's good. Congratulations! I think we were all kind of talking too, and this is only because I think we're all ringer guys, so we all became take line guys when Jason Concepcion left the ringer and went over to crooked media and you know, he, his main podcast, he paired up with Renee Montgomery and Renee Montgomery Montgomery is also a part owner and vice president of the Atlanta dream. And it's hard not to watch her speaking every week and the things that she's talking about and not being like, this is the best place to this. If this is the person who's in charge, what an awesome place to, to go work and be a part of. And obviously, you know, it's a basketball team. You're going there to win games and you're going there to provide value. And, and hopefully, you know, Lindsay is, that's where Lindsay's going. It's just, it's obviously we were all bummed when the sky passed on her in the second round. Um, but the chance to go to Atlanta and what is clearly an organization where there's new, exciting, quality leadership taking over there. Um, it's a it's a great place. It's a really exciting team to go and be a part of. And it's just it makes you hope that much more that uh, that uh, she is able to unconsciously gun her way into the hearts and minds of the Atlanta dream. And did, did I see that they took Ari McDonald first they did. round? They had they Ari did. McDonald third overall, I believe. Yeah, so I mean that's gonna like I presume they could pair the two of them as a brand new backcourt, and I think I think those players would play pretty well together given how good Lindsay is off the ball. So um, that's yeah, that's exciting. Uh, congratulations to Danielle Williams uh, for yes. pitching a perfect Ooh. game for softball uh, as they went out to Iowa and had a really good weekend. But I mean, can't have a better weekend than Danielle Williams going twenty-one up, twenty-one down, and only the fifth perfect game at Northwestern history. And I think several of those in in the Northwestern ledger were not seven inning games. Um, I think she was the first one to go. I I, I could I think since the eighties. I want to say. Um, some crazy amount of years since a Northwestern pitcher pitched a seven inning perfect game, but yeah, abs- absolutely incredible. 
why and it kicked off what ended up being a really good series for Northwestern. They took three out of four games from the Hawkeyes. Uh, I I want to say game two just started off as a total disaster. I think they were down six nothing um, after the first inning, but you know an, an eight run rally to come back and win that game nine to seven allowed them to to capture the series win. Just a, a great response after the the disappointing series the prior weekend against Minnesota where they got swept. And I think I want to say that last week when we when we chatted, I, I mentioned Sidney Souple's uh, article uh, on on Inside NU and just you know the the perspective that the team was hungry and was going to get after it and you know was not going to take you know what happened against Minnesota and let it let it defeat them and they certainly did it and to, to, to kick that off with with the perfect game from Danielle Williams and then to you know convincingly win. Uh, game three before dropping the finale like it's it, it's a nice setup for the squad that um, I believe has Michigan next I, I, I could be wrong on that but um, they've you know there's still a lot of softball left to play they're they're just outside the top 25 right now I think they're the second or third team getting votes um, but they're you know continuing to play good ball yeah I remember it last week we were like oh rough series at Minnesota hope they can bounce back How's that for a bounce back? <laughs> <laughs> hey, while we're on the subject of um, women's sports teams playing Iowa, I, I, I we weren't going to talk about this, but I, I, I oh, want to throw we, it in there. We actually were. I was I was just about to go there. Oh, you're about to go there. So I NU field hockey uh, swept Iowa, number two Iowa, won two games, um, huge, 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 uh, ranked fifth in the final regular season rankings coming out today, for the, the coaches poll. Um, I believe are tied with with Iowa in the standings now. Um, but just a, a great a great cap to an amazing regular season for the women's field hockey team. Oh. And hey, this is one of those ones you can get super excited about because it's like get ready to reload on some field hockey. That's going to be coming right back around the corner. It's a nice time to have a sweet field hockey team. Uh, also, shout out to lacrosse finishing an undefeated season uh, with decisive wins uh against michigan and ohio state i believe right uh currently ranked number two in the country going into the big 10 tournament and uh man this this team i cannot wait to to see how far they go i mean there's no reason they shouldn't be playing for the championship in a couple weeks i mean it just depends on where they get it depends on where they get seated. Syracuse is the other really big dog, right? Um, and North Carolina is number one, I believe. Yeah, North Carolina is number one, but then Syracuse is like the you know if if NU is number two, Syracuse is the is is the other, I think superpower. Um, that we'll just have to see how the how the bracket lays out, and if you know if those two teams are on a collision course in the semis, or if or if one of them happens to be a Northwestern's path, we'll just see how it plays out. Also, shout out to uh, fencing. Uh, with a third-place finish in the NCAA championships? Yeah, so I think one particular fencer that um, it's it's funny because I think she's going to be a really big name um, within fencing. And I think obviously, um, even compared to some of the other sports, I mean, you kind of see fencing, golf, some of the other sports, even compared to a softball, basketball, sometimes the biggest names, you know, becoming household names takes a little bit longer. But there's a potential megastar on the women's fencing team right now, and that is Sky Miller. She is um, a freshman um, from 
Durham, North Carolina. And my first thought was that. It was like, wow, we pried her away from Duke. And then my wife, a former fencing All-American, was like, nah, Duke doesn't have any kind of team. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay then. Um, but nonetheless, um, she was, you know, within the fencing world, a massive recruit. This is someone who is um, major. For those of you who don't know, um, they're sub disciplines defensing saber epe and foil um saber is the relatively speaking the more recent in terms of um female um competition at the ncaa level my wife was an all-american and was one of kind of the trailblazers um uh carly lacombe then carly wells one of the trailblazers of women's saber at the NCAA level and was as one of Northwestern's first grade sabers. And I was saber fencers and I was kind of joking, you know, Sky Miller's going to be coming after all your records here. Um, this girl is really that good. She finished, I think, second at the NCAAs. She, she uh, went in as the number one saber uh, right. in, the, in the country. Exactly. And I think so it was kind of, you know, she was actually like the, the favorite, ultimately finished second, still a massive deal. Um, this is someone who's going to be competing to be the very best saber fencer in the country the entire rest of the time she's at Northwestern. Um, this is someone who may have an Olympics in her future. And it is worth noting that she is a young woman of color in a sport that does not have a lot of, of, of people of color. Um, and that there are people not unlike Tiger Woods in golf. Keith Smart would be an example of someone who... Um, became really famous as a trailblazing person of color within the world of fencing. Um, so it is, this is Sky Miller is someone really, you know, to the extent that, that you all care about fencing, which I know it's, it's down the list, but this is someone who's going to be a real potential star at Northwestern. So put a pin in that name, Sky Miller. All is not sunshine and rainbows. However, um, as we did get a destination for Miller cop kicked, kicked Kicked this can down the line as far as we could. <laughs> Miller Cop announcing uh, today he is transferring to Indiana. Uh, apparently there were a ton of programs he could have gone to, and he picked the one other Big Ten school. So, it's, Yeah, just, just for, for posterity's sake. Um, picked from a list of offers that included Oregon State, Texas A&M, Utah, USC, Creighton, South Carolina, New Mexico, Georgia, Vanderbilt, Wichita State, DePaul, Oklahoma State, and Xavier. Yeah, I so I kind of feel like post the the men's bas the men's football season when everyone was talking about oh my gosh look at all these transfers and we had to pour water on all those fires and with good reason right being like look a lot of these guys are going home etc cetera, etc cetera. a lot of the way a lot of people irrationally thought about those situations. A lot of that kind of scans in this situation. Well, um, well yes, yes, and at the same time, this is just another in a in in another variation on a theme that we've heard. Whether it was the conversation with Jordan Nash, listening to his conversation with Barrett Benson and Isaiah Brown, and I like the first quote in the article I read on ESPN, Miller Cop states that. You know, Mike Woodson, the coach at Indiana, has, quote, a plan for his development. Right, exactly. Uh, and you hear that and you're like, sees my potentials versus a player, has a plan for my development. Exactly. And the other quote, um, 
I think the Big Ten will see a different player, someone who's a versatile player offensively more than a shooter, playing in the open court, playing in ball screens, and more swagged up overall, to be frank. And I'm envisioning a lot of non-Northwestern fans being like, what does he mean by more swagged up overall? And a lot of Northwestern fans going, we know exactly what he means by more swagged up overall. Um, Not great, Bob. Not great. Um, Again, for Miller, of course, he gave his time. He gave his service. He's got his Northwestern degree. Do do what's best for you. Um, The thing about Woodson is true. This is a guy with significant NFL experience. Miller's trying to take his shot. Good. Do it. Um, get get the best out of it. But um, you know, if you want if you want to really go down the negative road, multiple people have pointed out he does have two years of eligibility left. And he may suddenly find himself in a situation that is um much more advantageous to and able to effectively utilize his abilities. And he may become a really strong standout player for them, and we're just going to have to eat it. And that's just the way that it goes. Well, um, that's kind of all we've got for tonight. Uh, definitely, though, tune in next week for our live draft pod. Um, we'll, like I said, we'll have all the details for that up on our website, westlawpirates.com, on our Twitter, on our Facebook, on our Instagram, as soon as we get all of the details finalized on where you can tune in live uh, from the start of the first round uh, all the way through to the end. Um, and tune in and, and and talk to us, too. Like, there, if you want to, you know, submit comments, ask questions in the moment, um, that was something we were able to do last year, and I'm sure, I'm sure our boy Gary over at Winning Cures Everything is probably going to have that in the works. Definitely. Um, and you know, we'll post the, uh, the audio from that on our feed uh, soon after uh, we're all said and done there. So um, I, I always love the NFL draft. And the, this year is so interesting. I, I you know, was talking with Chris Giannini on, on their pod, Winning Here's Everything, today about kind of where this first round might go and you know, how it all starts at number three. What is San Francisco going to do? Uh, so it's very, very fascinating and I can't wait to, to dive into that next week. So, uh, yeah, very excited. Again, like I can't hammer this home strongly enough. People, you're all going to be watching the draft. It's the greatest Northwestern draft ever. You're all going to be sitting in front of your TVs with your laptops out dialed into this thing. We're right there. Pull us up. We're going to be there with you the entire way. If you want to throw a question at us, if you want to just have some fun, like put us on one of your screens. We are going to be there wire to wire. Um, and, you know, there's if you're if you're trying to enjoy a Northwestern centric draft, uh, let us be your guides. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlawpirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.